0: Take your Bibles this morning, open to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. I had a man come to me after the first service and he said, uh, Josh, it was just incredible first service. I just felt like God was there and I just sensing his presence and I walked out of the sanctuary and I was crying, I had a, I had a tear in my eye and someone asked me what was wrong and I said, he's moving and the person said, Ryan's moving? Which is funny, they never said Josh is moving, like they didn't care about that. Ryan's moving? He said, no, no. I said, well, Josh is moving? No, no. No, God's moving. And uh, the reality is, is I think as we are seeking the Lord, as we are going after Him in fasting and prayer and reading and study, that God is, is moving. Let me just tell you something. We absolutely believe that those who seek God find Him. That God rewards those who seek Him. And everything we're doing in this moment, as we begin this year, challenging you to pray and fast and read and all of that, is a desire for you to go after God, for you to seek him with all of your heart, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, believing that God rewards that. And I just want to encourage you that everything we're doing in this little moment is all part of our desire to lead you to know how to walk with God and to seek God so can I, just, can I just ask if you would, if you're able to do this, that, that you would attend our prayer conference this weekend. This is something we've thought a lot about, we've prayed for, we've planned. Because we know that out of every spiritual discipline, it seems that prayer is the most difficult. That it seems challenging to us to continue to live in a life of prayer. So this will be a lot of practical application, a lot of equipping. Uh, it's really going to be great. It's Friday night, 7 to 9. Come back Saturday morning. We have a, a breakfast at 8.30 and then 9 to 11. That's it. Just a few hours together in prayer. We've got child care for kindergarten down, but we wanted the kids to be in there because I think they can handle it. We're going to put some books together for them. The teaching will be engaging. I think it'll be good for them not only to pray, but it's good for them to see us pray. Amen? And I believe this weekend is a part of just kind of seeing what God is doing and sensing what God is doing. And So if you would be a part of that uh, I'd really appreciate it. I think it'll be good for us and you as a church. So we need you to go online and sign up for that right on the front of the website there. There are three boxes. One of them is, is to register. I promise it doesn't take long because I did it this morning. I realized this morning I probably shouldn't ask you to register if I've never registered. So I registered myself, my wife, my family uh, will be there, but I want to encourage you to do that. And that really does just kind of go with the whole theme of our desire for you to practically daily, relationally, moment by moment, seek the Lord to walk with him, that he would become a part of your everyday life, that you really would not just say you're a follower of Jesus, but you would follow him, that throughout the day you would know where he is and what he is doing and where he's going, and that the spirit of God would be evident in your life and that you would walk with Jesus Christ. I was thinking this week about all of these claims of Jesus in the book of John. I think about in John 6 when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and if anyone will come and eat of me, He will never be hungry again. And I thought about John chapter 7 when Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, he stands up in a large crowd at the last day of the feast when Jerusalem is packed, and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of him will flow rivers of living water. Jesus makes these incredible claims that if there's any hunger in your heart, feast on him, and if there's any thirst in your heart, come drink from him, and you'll be satisfied. And we're gathered here this morning as a church because we actually believe that. We believe those claims. We believe that we are hungry and thirsty for something. And we also believe that what we often do is try to fill that hunger and thirst with a thousand different things. We buy things. We go places. We get addicted to things. And every single one of those things we're doing is simply a demonic substitute for the real thing. It is ways in which we're attempting to satisfy the hunger and thirst of our soul, which God has placed there. But we believe that the only all-satisfying reality in life is Jesus Christ. And as a church, we have one goal. We want to get you close to Jesus. We want to show you how to walk close with Jesus because we believe that in a real relationship with Jesus, you come to find real life. There's nothing else in life that will satisfy you more than intimacy with Jesus. And in all of those statements that Jesus makes, they're all invitations. This morning, he's inviting you. He's saying, I want you to come to me and eat and come to me and drink and come to me and find life and come to me and find the truth. And accepting that invitation begins with a moment in which you Do place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I was meeting with a girl this week who grew up in church and uh, she was just talking about her understanding of salvation and what it meant. And we talked about the fact that there does have to be a moment in your life, a moment in which you acknowledge your sin and you're separated from God. And you need someone to save you because you can't save yourself. And at some moment, you have to call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, I've tried to do this myself. I can't do it any longer. I need you to save me. And I trust your death on the cross as the payment for my sins. And I'm choosing by faith to follow you as the Lord and Savior of my life. It has to begin with a moment. And even today, some of you need to have that moment. You need to come to a moment in which you say, Lord, I'm done. I'm trusting you alone. But I also reminded this young lady that that moment is the entrance into a life. We had two people come this morning in the first service to give their life to Christ. And as I came down here and talked to them, I said to them, this is a moment of a beginning of a life in which you now are choosing day by day to trust and follow Jesus. And Listen to this as you choose day by day to walk with Jesus, to stay close to Him, to know what it really means to trust and follow Him, to have a real, vibrant, personal relationship with Jesus, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, more important to that desire than consistent time in this book. Nothing. There is nothing that can ever take the place of consistent time in the Word of God. And it's not just because God tells us to read the Bible. And it's not because a Sunday school teacher told us to read the Bible. It's not because we love history. It's not because we love stories. It's not even because we love the Bible. It's because this book reveals to us in every single word, Jesus Christ. That this book is alive alive. But when accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit, it begins to be alive in us and it is revealing to us Jesus Christ. So if we desire to know Jesus and if we desire to walk with Jesus, it is impossible to do that without consistent time in this book. And that is why Jesus in John five thirty nine says to the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He says, but these scriptures bear witness about me. In other words, he says, Pharisees, you're reading the scripture faithfully, but you're missing the point of scripture. The point of scripture is knowing and enjoying Jesus Christ. That's exactly the point of Luke 24. It's an incredible story of how Jesus reveals the importance when we cannot see Jesus with our physical eyes to see him with our spiritual eyes through the reading of the word of God and how when we come to this word to know Jesus and to find Jesus, then it lights a fire of passion in our hearts for Christ. Here's the context of what's happening in the first few verses of chapter 24. It's... Sunday afternoon It's been a difficult weekend for the disciples. Jesus was betrayed. He was killed He was hung on the cross. He was buried And it didn't get any better when three ladies came to the disciples on Sunday afternoon and said they had been To the tomb and it was empty and they saw an angel And the angel said that jesus had risen and the disciples think that's crazy and they don't believe them They are confused it says explicitly that they're sad, that all of their hopes were crushed. They had banked everything on this, they had left everything to follow Jesus. And after two days, there's not a word, there's nothing. Here's where the story picks up in Luke 24, verse 13. If you're there, say aloud, Amen. Amen. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Look at verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, in the Greek, this is called a divine passive. What it means is this. It's something that God did. So God shut their physical eyes so that they could see everything around them, but they could not see that it was Jesus. These were disciples. And Jesus begins to walk with them, but they could not see that it was Jesus. And it says, Jesus says, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? Remember, this is Jesus asking. And they said to him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels. Who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. So they're not believing because they have not physically seen Jesus. Look at what it says. Jesus rebukes them in verse 25 for not believing. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, there was, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, even if you cannot see with your physical eyes, you should have already believed. Why? Because everything in Scripture has been pointing to me. It has already been said that everything that's happened should have happened. And you should already believe because you know the Word of God. But they had failed to come to the Word of God and see Jesus in it. So in a moment in which they needed to know the truth of who Jesus was and where Jesus was and what he was doing... They did not see it because they didn't understand the word. And then, in verse 27, is the verse where every Bible preacher, every Bible scholar, every Bible teacher would say that this is the one moment in the New Testament they wish they could be a part of, where it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the same things concerning himself. What that means is that Jesus took the Word. They didn't have the New Testament. It was being written. And He didn't begin talking to them about Himself from His virgin birth. He didn't talk about the journey to Bethlehem. He didn't talk about the angels in the sky declaring it to the shepherds. He didn't talk about the wise men. He began in Genesis one one. and showing them from the beginning of the Old Testament to the New Testament, everything in there that was concerning him, how every verse was pointing to him. And it says in verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, no, stay with us for it's, it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So they've heard this teaching and they don't, they don't want him to leave. So he went in to stay with him. When he was at a table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Verse 31 is another divine passive. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying... The Lord has risen indeed, and he appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, if you noticed, as we were reading, there's a lot in this passage about seeing from the beginning to end. They had gone to the tomb, but they had not seen, so they didn't believe. They were now standing next to Jesus, who was asking them what was going on, and the Lord made it so they could not see. Then they come to the Word of God, and as Jesus opens the Word of God, they begin to see. Not with their physical eyes, but with the eyes of their heart. Jesus begins to explain Scripture to them, and all of a sudden, they can see. And then after that, God opens their eyes again, and they see physically the person of Jesus. He then goes away from them. They then come back and say, it's true, he's alive, we've seen. He's even appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road, for he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This entire passage is about seeing and about different kinds of seeing. About a seeing in the word and about a seeing the physical presence of Jesus. What the Lord is wanting us to see in Luke 24 is that even before they could see with their physical eyes the physical presence of Jesus, Jesus allowed them to see with the eyes of their heart the reality of Jesus from his word. And it was not until after they had seen Jesus in the word that he opened their eyes to help them see Jesus in the physical form. So why would Jesus do that? I mean, why wouldn't Jesus just immediately come to them and say, Hey, it's true. I'm here. And then open the word and show them. Well, the reason is simple is because Jesus knew that The disciples that followed would never see the physical presence of Jesus. We do not see the physical presence of Jesus, and we will not until we spend eternity with him. But it's okay. Because God has made it so abundantly clear who Jesus is and what he is doing in the word of God that it is possible to us to see with our spiritual eyes, even if we never see with our physical eyes. So when the very physical presence of Jesus is taken away from us, it is possible to see Jesus clearly through his word. That's what he wants us to understand. That yes, Jesus has ascended. He is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. He is ruling and reigning above all power and authority and dominion. He is working, Ephesians 1, all things according to the counsel of his will. But it is possible to us to see him every single day if we see him in this book. Look at what it says happened to them in verse 32. It says in 31 that the eyes, physical eyes were opened. They recognized that it was Jesus. And then they said this, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures. I love this because they just physically saw Jesus. And they know they did. But their first response after physically seeing Jesus. Was not how great it was to see Jesus. But how incredible it was to see Jesus in the word. Weren't our hearts burning within us. When he taught us. And when we heard him open up Genesis and go through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the way through, and show us the reality of Jesus in every one of those passages, didn't our hearts burn within us? Now, have you ever ever known that feeling? I believe if, if you've walked with God and you know him, you've had a moment, whether it be in a church service, in your personal time with the Lord, in which you have felt a burning in your heart for the Lord. When something starts to stir up in you and you desire God and you want Him and you have new hunger for Him and new thirst for Him, there's just this little fire that begins to kindle. Have you ever had that experience anywhere? which you just sense that God is stirring? It's just this little bitty fire. It's what I pray for us every time we gather. Every time we gather, it is my prayer that in this moment, God, through the power of His Word, would light a little fire in your heart. I got an email About two weeks ago, someone said, Pastor, I just want to let you know, so encouraged about what's going on. I left church just wanting to know Jesus more, to which I responded, that's everything I pray for. Like, that's it. All I want is for you to walk out of here with a little burning in your heart, not because of what you ate last night, but because of what you got this morning. That's what I want. I want a little burning in your heart, a little flame of passion for God. So listen, this is what God does. There are moments in our life in which God does that. He's gracious to do that. That he gives us a little hunger and thirst. And by the way, it's a gift from him. If we have that, it's him. And then what he says to us is this, is that if you want to put fuel on that fire, if you want to continue to experience the burning passion for Jesus Christ in your life, you do it by fueling it with the Word of God. Didn't our hearts burn within us when Jesus taught us the Word? The answer is yes, because what this book does is it reveals Jesus Christ and it fuels a passion for Jesus Christ in our hearts. I've told you this before, but when someone comes to me, And they say, Pastor, I don't know what's going on in my life. I used to love Jesus, have a passion for Him, but it's kind of faded lately. I don't know what's going on. I just ask Him some basic questions. Have you stopped going to church? Because it matters. Have you stopped reading the Word? Is there any sin that is continual in your life that you refuse to repent of or confess? Because at the bottom, at the end of the day, it kind of just comes down to those three things if you've neglected fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, if you haven't spent time in this word, if you're walking in sin, that quenches the spirit. It it puts out the fire of God in your heart. And so what God has said is he said, I have given you my word that every single word of it might pull you into Jesus Christ, help you to know him and enjoy him, and that it might light a fire of passion for Jesus Christ in you. Listen to this. We don't read this just because we're supposed to. I met with someone else this week, and they told me about how when they grew up in church, they were always told, read their Bible, read their Bible, read their Bible. And they did it for a while, but they stopped doing it because they never really knew exactly why they were reading their Bible. You're just supposed to read your Bible. Let me tell you why you read your Bible. You read your Bible because every single verse points us to Jesus Christ, and only Jesus has life. That's it. You don't get up out of duty. You get up because you want to find Jesus, because you believe that unless you are walking in intimacy with Jesus Christ, nothing else in life makes sense. And how do you get yourself close and intimate with Jesus? By devouring this book and opening it, not because you're trying to find a rule to obey, but because you're trying to find a person to follow. This is a real living book. That by God's grace can be accompanied with the power of the Holy Spirit that can reveal to you the person of Jesus Christ whom you are called to follow. That is why we read the Word. And it makes so much sense in light of everything we've been talking about that how do we stay close to Jesus when we can't see Him? Well, we fast and we pray and we read the Word. We do these practical daily disciplines, not for discipline's sake. But because we want to be close to Jesus, that's the motive for reading the word of God. Now, I had two desires this morning. One, I wanted to, to spark a little flame. <laughs> I wanted to give you a, a little bit of maybe new and fresh passion to go after Jesus and to see him in the word. But I also know that this can be a challenge to start a new discipline like this. And so I want to give you some practical suggestions. Because the challenging thing about this message is, is that all of you know this. Like this is, you're not going, oh, we're supposed to read the Bible? And literally no one ever told me that. Like you're not saying that. Like you know that, that you're supposed to read the Bible. You've been told this a thousand times. But as we have, over the last couple of years, started these discipleship groups we are asking people to read the Bible, the most surprising thing to me is how many people are not reading their Bible. Not because they don't know they're supposed to, it's just never been a habit. It's just not part of life. And they wonder why they're not walking intimately with Jesus is because they don't know the word of God. So let me give you a a couple of practical things that you need to, to, to have in order to have a significant, consistent time alone with God in his word. All right. The first one is this, is that you must have a plan. You must have a plan. If you fail the plan, you plan to fail. And I don't know if that is ever more true than it is in our reading of the word of God. I know you have done this in my early Christian life. The way I would read the Bible is I would wake up in the morning and I would just kind of scroll through and find something. Well, you never get disappointed with the Psalms. We'll do one of those today. I'm feeling a bit emotional and sad and I hate life. I'm going to go to the Psalms and see if there's some encouragement. So I needed to be a little bit more joyful or whatever it may be i'm gonna to go to Philipp- i think philippians is about joy i'll read some verses in there i i need a little bit of jesus this morning and so you read about jesus well i've got some struggles in my marriage i'll go to song of solomon no, you probably don't do that but you just it is what it's there for you just, you just kind of open up and try to find something let me, just, let me just tell you something that's really dumb for a lot of reasons Mainly because this is a book that has been given to us, inspired, inerrant from God. The order of the books matter. Coming to a book and understanding the book matters. And you will never be consistent in your time with Jesus Christ if every day you're just opening and trying to find something. You don't do any other book that way. There's no other book that you just open up and try to read a paragraph. You don't do that with the Word of God. You've got to have a plan. And that's why we put out these New Testament reading plans. Would I love for you to start in Genesis and go to Revelation? Absolutely. And at some point you need to do that, and it probably needs to be a regular habit. It may be too much to do it in a year, but take a couple of years and just go online, look for a Bible reading schedule. I did this last week and get a PDF. It just has little boxes to check off as you read. Just do something, have some kind of plan. We chose the New Testament this year because I'm going to spend all year preaching from the book of Luke, and we thought it would be good for you to be hearing from the New Testament and reading that. It doesn't matter. Just find a plan. But it's not just a reading plan. It's a plan of when you're going to read. God can't get your leftover afterthoughts. Like if this matters as much as anything, then you have to to find a place, to find a time in which you're going to meet with God. And I know, listen, I don't want to be dogmatic about the mornings. Just because Jesus got up early in the morning doesn't mean you have to. (laughs) Just kidding, that's terrible. Uh, (laughs) Not that didn't work for everybody. Okay, I'm a morning person. I enjoy getting up the morning. I think most clearly in the morning. Uh, andrea think uh, has a difficult time getting up early in the morning and reading first thing So she goes and exercises first thing and then reads I have a very difficult time exercising first thing in the morning So while she's exercising I stay in and eat cookies and have coffee and read my bible Just all works out great just works out for us So i'm not saying that works for everybody. I will say this about the morning All of us are just pretty terrible people in the flesh And I don't know how we can walk out of the house and face the day and be nice to our wives or our kids or love anybody or do anything right without some of the Spirit of God in our lives. I don't know how we get out and face the day without spending some time with Jesus and saying, Lord, if you don't live through me, I'm going to make a mess of everything today. So I think that matters. But you just have to find some time so that you don't come to the end of the day. You get home from work, you're exhausted, you watch TV for a little bit, or worse, you watch the news, you get depressed, and you get in bed and you think, oh, I got to read some Bible. And so while you're completely exhausted and your eyes can't stay open, you give Jesus 30 seconds. That doesn't work. You've got to find a time, make a commitment, have a plan. I'm going to read the word of God. The second one is this. You've got to have a plan. You have, listen to me. You have to have a pen. You say, you don't. I don't have to have a pen. I, I think you need a pen. Here's why. My Uncle Bill, I told you about Uncle Bill a few weeks ago had a great influence on my life. He said, every time you read the Bible with a pen in your hand, it's an act of faith because what you're saying is, God, I'm waiting for you to tell me something. There is is nothing that has helped me more in my reading the Bible than making sure that when I read it, I have some paper, I keep a moleskin, black journal, and a pen. Because I believe that I'm coming to this word not just to check off a box because I want to hear something from the living God. And I come to this word expectant. God, I want you to say something to me. God, give me something. I need something from you today. I'm hungry and thirsty for you. Give me something. We talk about at the top of this little Bob reading plan how to keep a hear journal, to highlight a verse, to explain it, to apply it, to respond to it. You can do that or anything else. I'm just saying make sure that you're coming to the word ready to receive something from him and be ready to write down what he says to you. I think it matters. Have a plan. Have a pen. Here's the last one you need prayer to understand the word of God. The only way you'll ever understand this book is if the Holy Spirit of God illuminates it to you. I don't know who or when or where, but sometime early in my Christian life, someone told me to pray Psalm 119.18 before I read the Bible. Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your word. Because it is a declaration that in my flesh, I can't understand this. It will just be words on the page. But if God comes and fills me with his spirit, then I will see with my spiritual eyes, the eyes of my heart, as Paul calls it, exactly what is here. You must pray that the Lord would help you to understand and receive his word. I won't read this, but the entire first chapter of Ephesians shows us how this works. That Paul spends the first part of that chapter telling the Ephesians how blessed they are in Christ Jesus, that they are chosen and predestined and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and sealed. All of these things are true about you as a believer. They're facts. Paul knows that they will not experience those facts, that those facts will not be activated in their life unless the Holy Spirit makes them aware of those facts and makes them real in their lives. So Paul finishes with a prayer. He says, I pray every day for you that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you might see the hope to which he has called you, the power that is available to you. Because Paul knows that preaching is not enough. It must be accompanied by the power of God to take the preaching and make it matter. It's the same with the word of God. that the words must be accompanied with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly how it works. You are disciplined to spend time in this word. God, by his Holy Spirit, makes it come alive in you And it begins to start a passion in your heart for Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. There is not a moment of the day. Listen carefully. There is not a moment of the day in which your flesh is not talking to you. And there is not a moment of the day in which this world is not telling you something. And there is not a moment of this day in which the devil is not whispering something in your ear. And everything the whispering in your ear is some demonic substitute to get you to do anything else or believe anything else but Jesus Christ. But in the midst of all of those other voices, God is speaking. You just have to listen. You just have to be committed to spend time every day in the word of God, not because I'm telling you to, but because you believe that only Jesus has life. This book reveals Jesus to us. So I have a desire for Jesus and a longing for Jesus and a desire to follow Jesus. I will get in this word that I might know Jesus more intimately. That is always the goal. One desire to get you to walk as intimately with Jesus on a daily basis as you can. And nothing impacts that more than time in this book. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.